On this week's episode of the Tenny Six Tenny Podcast, we're going to be beginning a five-part limited series talking about serial killers in the state of Florida. That and much more on this episode of the Tenny Six Tenny Podcast. Welcome, everybody, to this episode of the 1086 Tenny Podcast. We're your hosts. I'm Lee Alexander. And I'm Matt Taylor. And we appreciate everybody takes the time out of their day to join us. On this week's episode, we're going to take a detour from our normal show and start a new limited five-part series focusing on serial killers here in the state of Florida. But I can't help myself. Before we get started, i got to take a minute and revisit the antics of the D.C. City Council. They've done it again, Matt. I bet they have. They've passed a law that allows non-citizens, including illegal aliens, or as they put it, undocumented immigrants, to vote in elections in the city. The only requirement is that the individuals must be able to show they have resided in the district for six months prior to the vote. Once again, the stupidity of the D.C. Council, D.C. City Council, knows no limit. What do you, what do you say to something like that? I'm dumbfounded, dude. How is it that they're going to allow people that don't have the legal right to vote to vote? Exactly. What are we going to do next? Hey, everybody lives in Russia. Come on over here and vote. No, yeah, might as well. I, I, I'm at a, I'm at a loss. Thank God we live in Florida, dude. Oh, I'm telling you what. That oh. that DC shit's stupid. Yeah, and it's I don't know what to say about it. I just don't. <laughs> okay, let's get back to our story. That's awesome. <laughs> All right, Florida's had its fair share of serial killers, I mean, including some of the most well-known, like Ted Bundy, Eileen Warnos. Um, but since just about everybody's done stories on those two, we're going to focus on some probably lesser-known but no less evil killers. Uh, so what we might want to do is start with what classifies um, a person as being a serial killer. <laughs> I can't serial killer. Just in case we have a listener or two that that isn't sure what a serial killer is, it's defined as a person um, that has killed more than three people on more than one occasion and uh, has a cooling down period in between. Right. I mean, that's a good point. The cooling off period is critical to the serial killer classification as uh, it's what difference. (laughs) No, I can't say it differentiates a serial killer from a spree killer. This week, we're going to be telling the story of Gerard Schaefer, known as the killer cop or the butcher of Blind Creek. Um, Schaefer was born in on March 26, 1946. Uh, he was the oldest of three children. He was raised in an apparently abusive household with an alcoholic father. Uh, the family relocated here to Florida to Fort Lauderdale in the early 60s, where he graduated high school in 1964. Now, let's take a step back and look at this, excuse me, look at his childhood in a little more detail based on his own words. When talking with psychiatrists, Schaefer recalls his violent self-loathing and numerous sexual hangups uh, when he was just as young as 12 years old. Things like sadomasochism. 
tying himself to a tree and getting aroused, and having fantasies about hurting other people. He talked how his father favored his sister, so he wanted to be a girl. That's weird. Yeah. <laughs> uh, he was one messed up kid, man. Wow. Schaefer said that he started seeing psychiatrists in 1966, but nothing seemed to calm the voices in his head telling him to kill. He tried other ways of quieting the voices, and he started traveling with the group Up With People. In case people don't remember what it was, they sang about freedom and its cost. It was during this time that he considered becoming a priest. Wow. However, he was turned away by the St. John's Seminary. This made him so angry, he quit the Catholic Church. Well, you got nothing if you don't have God. <laughs> yes. <laughs> His next effort was being a teacher, but that endeavor didn't last long as he was twice let go for trying to impose his own way of thinking on the students. In 1968, he got married, but like everything else in his life, that didn't last long as they divorced in 1970. After a brief break to travel to Europe to gain focus, focus? I guess. All right. <laughs> Schaefer decided that since he couldn't be a priest or a teacher, he would become a police officer. That's a natural progression. Eh? I like it. Why not? <laughs> you can't teach nobody and you can't talk to God anymore. Let, fuck it. Let's become a cop. <laughs> his first attempt was with the Broward County Sheriff's Office. However, his application was rejected because he failed the psychological testing. Go figure. Yeah, duh. He next applied to a small agency called Wilton Manor Police Department, which hired him. In March of 1972, he earned a commendation but was fired only a month later. Oops. The only explanation given by the agency that he lacked any common sense. <laughs> what? He gets a commendation and now he's dumb. Now he's dumb. But other information indicated that he was using the agency's computer to run female traffic offenders and using the information to contact them and ask them out on dates. There you go. Okay. Well, that's, a, I mean, at least he was trying. Not. <laughs> Somehow later that year, he was able to get a job with the Martin County Sheriff's Office. So he moved to Stewart, Florida to start his new job. But once again, like everything else he had done to that point, that job did not last too long. Less than a month after being hired, he picked up two girls uh, who were hitchhiking. He took the two girls, Pamela Wells, 17, and Nancy Trotter, 18, back to the halfway house uh, where they were staying and told them he'd be back the next day to pick them up and take them to the beach so they wouldn't hitchhike. What a nice guy. As promised, he returned the next day, but instead of taking them to the beach, he drove them to a nearby swampy area where he pulled a gun on them and told them he was going to sell them as white slaves. Schaefer then tied each girl to a tree with ropes around their necks as they balanced on roots. That way, if they slipped, they would hang themselves. Schaefer told them he'd be leaving but would be back soon. The girls were able to get loose and escape and flag down a car on a nearby highway. They were easily able to identify their abductor as he had given them his name. We should put him on, uh, you can't make this shit up. Right. By the time the girls were recovered, Schaefer had discovered that they had escaped and called his boss, Sheriff Richard Crowder, and told him that he'd done something foolish and that the sheriff was going to be mad. Schaefer tried to say that he did what he did in an attempt to scare the girls so they would stop hitchhiking. But not surprisingly, the sheriff didn't buy the story, and Schaefer was immediately fired, arrested, and charged with false imprisonment and two counts of aggravated assault. Wow. 
You would think that was the end of the story, but not even close. At his trial in November 1972, Schaefer pled guilty to one count of assault, and the, and all the other charges were dropped. He was sentenced to one year in the county jail and three years on probation. While he was out on bond awaiting trial, two other girls, Susan Place and Georgia Jessup, uh, 16, went missing. One of the girls' mothers said that they were last seen leaving with a man named Jerry Shepard. Luckily, she was able to get the tag number of the individual vehicle um, before they left with the girls. Sadly, the two girls never returned home for some un- shit. For some unexplained reason, it took detectives till March 25, 1973, to trace the tag back to Schaefer's vehicle. By then, Schaefer was already in jail, serving his sentence for the assault on Wells and Trotter. Detectives went to the jail and spoke to Schaefer, but he denied knowing the girls. On April 1, 1973, skeletal remains were located and later identified as belonging to Susan Place and Georgia Jessup. Detectives commented that the girls had been tied to trees and butchered. A few days later, police searched Schaefer's mother's home where he had items stored. Police found hundreds of pages of writing and sketches depicting the mutilation murders of young women and newspaper clippings about other missing women. Amongst the evidence collected, police located identification belonging to Colette Goodenough and Barbara Wilcox. The two 19-year-olds went missing in January before Schaefer began serving his sentence. The remains were located in 1977, but no charges have ever been filed. More evidence was located that indicated that Schaefer was involved in the disappearance of Carmen Hollick in February of 1969. One of the newspaper clippings found was about her being missing, but more damaging uh, piece of evidence was a gold tooth that was located and identified as belonging to Hollick. But apparently that wasn't enough to file charges. Another clipping referred to the disappearance in September of 1969 of Lee Bondies. She was a neighbor of Schaefer, whom he complained about as he felt she was taunting him by changing her clothes with the window open. A piece of her jewelry was recovered from the residence. But once again, no charges were filed when her remains were recovered in 1978. Schaefer was linked to even more killings. Additional jewelry located linked him to the disappearance of Maria Briscolina, 14, and Elsie Farmer, 13. Young kids, man. That's a shame. Both of Broward County. As in all the other cases, no charges were filed when their remains were recovered in 1973 since no cause of death could be determined. The list of deaths linked to Gerard Schaefer would grow, but he was only charged in the murders of Jessup and Place. The writings and sketches recovered by authorities were identified as having similarities to actual cases. Schaefer himself even said as much after a former classmate of his published some of his writings. He said, What crimes am I supposed to confess? Farmer? Briscolina? What do you think murder demons is? Here he was referring to one of his writings. You want confessions, but don't recognize them when I anoint you with them, and we've just gotten started. Yep, he couldn't keep his mouth shut. In 1991, he wrote that the, excuse me, he wrote that he disagreed with the prosecutor's count of 34 victims. He said that he had sat down and made a list of all the ones he was linked to, coming to a total of 80. After that, he said between 80 and 100. In another instance, 
He said that one whore drowned in her own vomit while he, excuse me, while she watched him disembowel her friend. That's messed up, dude. That's sad. Uh, then he went on to say, do pregnant ones count as two killings? Later, he was described by several authors as a prolific, prolific, okay, I'm not talking well today, man, <laughs> a prolific serial killer. He tried filing several lawsuits for liable, but were all they were all dismissed. Uh, Judge William Steckler uh, finally put the matter to rest when he branded Schaefer as a serial killer that is undeniably linked to numerous murders, besides the two of which he was convicted. The story of Gerard Schaefer, the killer cop, the butcher of Blind Creek, finally came to an end on December 3, 1995, when a fellow inmate entered Schaefer's cell, cut his throat, and stabbed him in both eyes. I got to say, I don't know about you, but it, uh, that's a much more appropriate end to this guy than he had been given by the state. Well, like you said, we've all said before, an eye for an eye, I guess. <laughs> all right. We want to acknowledge our primary resource for this story as it's an amazing book, The Encyclopedia of Serial Killers by Michael Newton. If you're interested in this subject, give that book a read. As the cover says, it's a study of the chilling criminal phenomenon from the angels of death to the Zodiac Killers. So, Matt, <laughs> what do you have to think about this guy? It's a huge failure for the entire system. The hiring process, psychological issues, and then he was able to get hired by multiple agencies. It's scary. Yeah, and he obviously had some issues. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, you go back and... I mean, there were red flags from when he was young. I mean, the, the deviant sexual behavior when he was at such a young age, mm-hmm. the uh, the continual lack of success in any effort. Mm-hmm. I mean, when you look, he tried to become a, a priest. That didn't work out. He tried to become a teacher. That didn't work out. He then eventually tried multiple occasions to become a cop. Mm-hmm. Um, and in each instance, like... Um, well, the, the first agency... Wilton Manor? No, uh, Broward rejected him because oh, okay, he failed yeah. the psychological test. Then um, Wilton Manors hires him. Right. And he gets canned there for what really turned out to be using the resources to make dates. The NCIC system. Yeah. So uh, he... The issues were there, but apparently, I guess, because we're looking at the late 60s, early 70s, obviously, apparently, agencies didn't communicate with each other back then. It sounds like it. And uh, then he goes on to Martin County, and that's where he ends up taking the two girls and tying them to trees. And Can you imagine being a sheriff and getting that call from him? <laughs> Especially go, I think you're going to be mad at me. No shit. <laughs> oh, no, it's okay. You tried. Hey, good job. You try. <laughs> That's what we're here for. What a sick fuck this guy is, man. <laughs> but I no, I can only imagine the uh, the panic and terror that went through that sheriff's head <laughs> right. on that phone call. <laughs> and then when you look back at all the things that he ended up doing in that really relatively short period of time, mm-hmm. uh, where before he ended up getting going back to jail or starting to serve his sentence, but where the mother in the one case 
provides the tag number in September, I think it was 1972. Mm-hmm. But it's not till March of 1973 before they get around to tracking it down and, 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 and linking it to him. Priorities. <laughs> I guess. I'm thinking, you know, if 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 that was done now, there'd be definitely people fired. Oh, of course. Definitely people sued. Yep. And potentially somebody in jail. Yeah, that's uh, it's with all the murders that he's linked to, um, and was only charged with two. Mm-hmm. Hopefully, and I'm just thinking from my heart. Hopefully, the families found some closures when the remains were were located. Right. However, it, there's going to be that huge void of um, holding somebody accountable since he was never charged. Right, and in each instance, apparently, it seems like it was because the remains were so uh, deteriorated they couldn't create a cause uh, formulate a cause of death right so they didn't have any they couldn't say okay this is what he did mm-hmm. the only one instance the the first two the, the ones he got charged with the one girl they were able to find she had a bullet wound in the jaw um, that was the only one where they could actually definitively say this is what happened right so uh it's just a like you said, it's just a complete failure of the system all the way around. And then, you know, we have our, you can't make this shit up. And, and in two instances, he, he falls in that category first with his, well, the reason I did it was because I was trying to scare him into not hitchhiking. So I guess he's like the original creator of Scared Straight or something. <laughs> You're going to go there? <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. Hey, you know, at least he was trying to be creative. Maybe that's that's the way. It, and then the the second one is uh, at the end there, where he talks about. I mean, he talks about all the different things that, like you know, I've made confessions in his writings and things like that. But then he gets upset when somebody calls him a prolific serial killer and tries to sue him. And the, is he surprised when he loses? Yeah, I, I don't know, bro. I, I'm just at a again. It's it, the system sell, uh, failed back then, and again, we're talking about the late '60s, early '70s. Right. So, obviously, things have changed since then. Right. All right. Well, hopefully, everybody enjoyed that uh, little story of Gerard Schaefer, the killer cop and the butcher of Blind Creek. Um, all right, what we're going to do now is we're going to move on to our line of duty deaths. Um, sadly, we have one, but luckily it's only one, I guess is the best way to put it. And uh, so let's talk about that now. All right, this line of duty death comes from the Chicago Police Department. The end of watch occurred just yesterday, March 1st of 2023. Police officer Andres Vasquez Lasso was shot and killed while responding to a domestic incident at 4.45 p.m. in the 5200 block of South Spalding Avenue in the Gage Park neighborhood. Officers were responding to a call about a man chasing a woman down the street with a gun. One group of officers went to the residence while other officers located the subject on foot. They were able to engage with the suspect but he fled from the officers. Shots were exchanged as Officer Vasquez Lasso pursued the subject, and both were wounded. Officer Vasquez Lasso was transported to Mount Sinai Hospital, where he succumbed to his wounds. 
The subject was taken to the hospital in critical condition. Officer Vasquez Lasso had served with the Chicago Police Department for five years and was assigned to the 8th District. He survived by his wife. He was only 32 years of age. That's sad. That's that foot chase shit. Again. Another one. It happens over and over again. And we've talked about it. Mm -hmm. Don't do it. Don't do it. All right, everybody. We ask for a moment of silence and recognition of the sacrifice of Officer Andres Vasquez Lasso. All right. Thank you. Okay, as part of our new addition to the show, we want to give a shout-out to Think Media. Sean Cannell and the other folks there at Think Media provide a goldmine of information for other content creators. Everything from equipment for podcasts to starting and running your own YouTube channel can be found on Think Media YouTube channel. Take some time and check out their channel and let them know that the guys at the 10610 podcast say thanks for all that they do. If you're looking to find new ways to diversify your income streams, then we know just the guy to help you do it. Check out Pat Flynn and his Smart Passive Income podcast. There is no one better to show you the ins and outs of increasing your income through the use of passive income. We guarantee you'll be worth your time. Okay, I think uh, we should end this episode with some humor. I think it's time to find new members of the Stupid Criminals Club, otherwise known as <laughs> You Can't Make This Shit Up. Matt, That's... what do you got for us this week? All right, so the first one uh, is titled, You Mean It's Not Scout Night. That's, that's what it says. <laughs> that's got me worried already. Right. It says, two machete-wielding men barged into a Sydney, Australia bar demanding money. Crikey. Right? Uh, They didn't know the club was hosting a bikers meeting (laughs) at the time. Subsequently, one robber ended up in the hospital (laughs) and the other one was hogtied with electrical wire. Good God. Sorry for your luck. Right. Um, In Mesa, Arizona, a home break-in was foiled when the burglar jumped through the bedroom window and got trapped. And a clothes hamper. <laughs> Foiled by dirty laundry. <laughs> how do you get trapped in a goddamn... How, how uh, big must that laundry hamper be? I don't know. Big enough to trap this dumbass. <laughs> this one is says, titled Worst Customer Service Ever. Ah. A guy allegedly attempted to rob a York, Pennsylvania bank. Uh, it was met with some snags. Cops say the first teller he tried to rob fainted. And the next two had no money in their drawers. <laughs> Fed up, this guy stormed out, threatening to write an angry letter to the bank. <laughs> That'll do it. What the? F- no, I got nothing. <laughs> Jesus. I'd be funny to find out. I'd like to find out if you actually did. <laughs> I, I Maybe got locked maybe, up before. I don't jail. know. <laughs> yeah, he wrote it from jail. I wouldn't be here if your people would have done their job right. <laughs> Okay, on this one, it says, after a man kicked in the front door of a Texas home, uh, the resident fled and called police. When cops arrived, uh, they were surprised to find that the intruder hadn't stolen anything. Uh, Police did find the man in the bathtub enjoying a warm bath. I think he was looking for a clean getaway. (laughs) (laughs) 
Oh, you win. <laughs> I think we're going to end it with this one. All right. A woman in Somerset, Massachusetts, was arrested for breaking and entering, but she was quickly caught thanks to her ankle monitor. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. What the fuck are uh, people thinking, dude? Well, I mean, you can't say they're the greatest of intellects. Mental giants all over. Wow. All right. That's some good stuff. It's messed up. All right. Well, I think that'll do it for us this week on uh, this episode of the 1086 108 podcast. Again, we'd like to invite everybody, if you have any comments, suggestions, uh, please communicate them to us uh, via email at 1086108podcast at gmail.com. Also, uh, please take the opportunity to check out our website at uh, 1086108podcast.com. There you can check out our blog and uh, listen directly to any of the episodes uh, from the beginning. Again, we thank you all for joining us. We'll see you next week on the 1086108podcast.